This episode of Restore It All is our latest in the Backup to Basics series, and it focuses on how to make sure that the requirements for your backup system come from the business, not you. And we have as a guest, the guy that wrote this chapter for my book. Hope you enjoy the episode. You could restore it all. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my software troubles consultant, Persona Maliandi. How's it going, Persona? I'm good. I'm good, Curtis. And like software troubles, you should expect it. You've been in the industry for how long now? Like, it you know, should just be... I know, be... <laughs> but I, I, you know that I generally don't like... Like, I generally... So, like, I like tech, and then, like, I like working on tech, but then I like using tech and the tech that I'm using, I just want it to work. I'm not TiVo anymore, but you know, when I had the TiVo, that's why I opted for TiVo and not Linux box with hard drive and some software yeah. that will record my TV stream. Right. <laughs> um, I, the stuff that I actually use on a day to day basis, I want to just, I want it to just work. And I've broken that trend by uh, upgrading a, a, a tool that I love, right? I yep. love Descript, but I've decided to go on the bleeding edge with their new version, which is amazing, but it's in but, beta. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm using a beta tool for the first time. And I'm like, I don't know, I push this button and it doesn't, it doesn't do the thing. Right. And then, yeah. yeah. And, but, but, know, but at least that, you have to hand it to the Descript support folks for actually like, taking your calls and your chats and they your do. emails, right? And be like, they're, hey, let me walk yeah. you through that. They're good with live chat. Although there's been a handful where where it, at some point they're like, you know, I think it's best to transfer this to email. <laughs> That's when you know you've, put, you've asked like one too many questions in a support chat. They're like, I think maybe you should put all your questions in an email. I'm like, but that's not how my that's not how my brain works. Like, I I get a question, I get an answer, I work for a little bit a while, and then I get another question. You know, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so or sometimes I it unblocks you. you, and then you like hit the next thing, and you're like, oh, what is this? Which is why, if you're a good product manager, right, you go in front of customers, and you're like, hey, show me what you're doing, and let me figure out like what your problems are, what your pain points are, what features I should be building. Yeah, and and it is. It is kind of funny though that I now I'm like on a first name basis with like four <laughs> or so of their of their uh, support. Shout out to the Descript people. support team. Yeah, shout out to for putting up with my uh, my questions because it's like it's a combination of the new version is significantly different than the old version, um, and so it's a, it's a combination between is this the way it's supposed to work now yeah. or is this the way it's supposed to work? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think, and I I think, think it's broken. And I think for a lot of the features, right, they're building the right things. Like just talking to you, like they've optimized yeah. some of your flows and some of the things yeah. that you've spent yeah. so much time working on in the past. Yeah. Right. So it's going to get there. Yeah. It's just it's going to take a little bit of time. But it's been <laughs> it's been a difficult couple of weeks, you know. Um, anyway, let's bring on our longtime friend. Uh, I, I've known him for, I don't know, for forever. And he's. For he's been on the podcast multiple times. You may remember him from from such hits as "How Does Hollywood Do Backup," and uh, he is also 
a uh, a co-author on my book, uh, latest book, uh, Modern Data Protection, which, by the way, you can get free by going to druva.com slash ebook. And um, he wrote the chapter that we're going to talk about today in our Back to Basics series. He is now the head of technical operations for Framestore, a visual effects studio in Hollywood. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff Rocklin. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> Hi guys, how are you? How's it going, Jeff? It's going, it's going well. It's going well. It, it's uh, it, it it is it nice to be back? Because I know for a while you weren't. You weren't, you, you, you've always enjoyed sort of combining the tech side of you and the, and the, you know, the entertainment side of you. And for a while you weren't in that space right now. Yes. It's good to be back with, Def- you're a full person. You get to be in entertainment and be in tech at the same time. Definitely. Um, I love the creative part of it and I love dealing with the crazy people that make creative things. And so it's, <laughs> that's. That's why I've spent, you know, the better part of the last 30 years working at um, uh, some kind of movie studios, preferably in production and not, you know, IT, because anybody, this will get me in trouble. Anybody can do email, but you know, <laughs> dealing with the dealing with the executive producer who's trying to get his movie out on time is a different kind of thing. Yeah, I can only imagine the pressure with that. <laughs> um. Yeah, the the only place I've worked in the past that where the pressure was worse in a different kind of way was Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Not a trading floor in Wall Street is a different. Yeah, because that's where like you're you know you're making a trade or you're trying to make a trade or you're trying to make thousands of trades, and suddenly the system goes down, right? Right, and it's and it's all time critical, right? Because the price is not sitting static waiting for you to close the trade. If you don't buy it right now, then five minutes from now, it's going to be, you know, a hundred million dollars more in cost. And there goes your profit margin, right? So, yeah, which uh, is why, at least in in my IT experience, and I spent a, I spent a good time in and out of Wall Street and working with other consultants that I knew that were working on Wall Street. And I, I got the sense it was the one place that I've seen where it's like money is no object. So they do, they do what is right to, um, to have fully highly available systems. Um, And I'd say Hollywood might be right behind that, right? Because you've got all these super expensive actors um, and super expensive, you know, both above and below the line people. See, I learned from you. I learned that phrase from you. And and they're all sitting there, you know, and if if they can't do it because the computers are down. What's above and below the line, by the way? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anybody in the creative titles, actors, directors, producers, writers, are called above the line. Um, anybody in the skilled trades and the crew, right? The the camera, the uh, the gaffer who's the electrician, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of guys, the stage hands, those are below the line. Um, gotcha. And the best way to describe it is, I guess, if you watch the credits of a movie um, at the end. You know, they always run the the cast gets their yeah. their individual cards, and the people who wrote the movie get their cards, and then it goes into that long scroll of mm-hmm. everybody else. That's kind of above and below the line, you know, visually. <laughs> um, Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. So Hollywood is kind of always walking that middle line between I wanna I want perfection, and I really don't want to have to pay for it. You know what I mean? Which is sort of what the rest of the world is doing as well. 
Um, how can I strike the balance so that I know I'll get a hundred percent of what I need. And yet at the same time, not have to spend the money to, to make it happen. A backups are a backups and storage in a production are a perfect example of this, right? Because artists iterate their work over and over and over again. They create a lot of files at the end of the day that they don't need because they've done, you know, they've done 20 versions of the scene and the 21st is the one they're going to use. Um, and then you go back to them and say, we're out of space, go clean up. And they look at you like, well, I don't have time to clean up. I'm busy yep. making art. If you want somebody to clean up, then I can't make art, right? <laughs> and you're looking at them and going, well, I can go spend $100,000 and buy more storage for you to put more stuff on. But eventually somebody's got to clean this up because you don't need that storage. Yeah. Um, and that's been a kind of a standard theme throughout my career in Hollywood. Um they, they are upset when it's broken. They It costs them a lot of extra money to make up for it when it's broken, right? Because overtime on skill trade and union people is not cheap. Um, and so we do everything we can to make sure that it doesn't break. And I'm guessing like, especially with Hollywood, right? When you're producing or creating, right, uh, content, right? Those are like significantly large files, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, if you're doing like 21 versions of it, right? The only other yeah. industries I could really think of that are similar is probably things in like the uh, genome space or the mining space, right? Where you just have a whole bunch and, of data all coming in at once. But And we're in uh, from a like a rendering, the, the final stage of production compute process. It's the same kind of technology being used, right? We run supercomputing clusters on the back end to render large projects, uh, just like oil and gas use supercomputing clusters to analyze data to figure out where to drill next, right? Um, and as the the beautiful picture that you get on your TV at home gets better and better when it moves from 2K to 4K to 8K to 16K plugged directly into the headset that's connected into your cerebral cortex so that you're living in the picture, <laughs> That the files get exponentially larger every time, right? Um, and I think I did the math for you a long time ago where think about a movie from the perspective of there are 23 frames, still pictures in every second of the film, and the film averages two and a half hours. Right. That's a that's lot. a lot of that's <laughs> a lot of images. Right. So. And, and you know, and and I'm glad I'm glad we sort of started with this part of the discussion because what we wanted to talk about you know this is our back to basic series and I'll, I'll take this opportunity to do our disclaimer um uh persona and i and jeff we all work for different companies i work for druva persona works for zoom and jeff works for framestore we're not speaking for our companies we're speaking uh our individual um uh, opinions and uh also if you would like to rate us we'd love you to do that we're still running our santa claus special <laughs> If you if you want to see this beard get longer and longer to turn into a Santa Claus beard by Christmas, then uh, you know you got to get us a few more comments in uh, specifically in iTunes. So go go to the iTunes, just scroll to the bottom, you know, click on it and give us a give us a rating, give us a comment. And um, if you'd like to be a part of this conversation, please reach out to me at WC Preston on Twitter or W Curtis Preston on Gmail. And um, so. We've been doing this back to the basics uh, series, Jeff, and mm -hmm. uh, so basically, I'm I'm pulling out, you know, my favorite book, Modern Modern Data Protection, which you may recall having 
having a part in. And um, we already did chapter one. It was why we back up, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. Risks. What are all the things that, that could do damage to data? And what I really want, you know, we talk a lot about in the backup space, we talk a lot about um, the fact that too many times, those of us in technology, we focus only on the technology and then we find ourselves asking questions, kind of like you were talking about the stores. Well, what should my retention be, right? How mm -hmm. long should I keep my backups? How long, <clears throat> how, how often should I do backups, right? What, so, and you know, and, and how quickly should I back up and how quickly should I be able to restore? And what I'm constantly telling people is you should not be the one answering this question, mm -hmm. right? You should right. always go back to the business, because the business is why you're doing what you're doing. And, and so chapter two is about um, gathering and determining your service levels. We have to realize what our organization does, whether it's a government organization or a business organization. And I think you mm -hmm. always understood that role. Um, yeah. Well, so one of the things that we do as workers at any particular company we go to is we focus on the job we have to do learning everything we need to learn about the job and, and understanding that so we can be good at it, right? Very few people started a company and then sit down and say, I want to understand the product we produce, right? I want to understand what the marketing is all about. I want to understand everything this business does because I don't just see myself as a worker for the company. I see myself as part owner of this business, right? I'm, I'm a critical cog in the wheel that makes the place produce something. And so that's always been my approach to my jobs. It's not good enough to just know I'm a sysadmin. I have to be able to write scripts to run this Unix box. Um, I want to understand that we rent cars to people all over the all over the world, and there's a process involved in how that works. Or when I worked in in broadcasting, right? I took the time to understand what the actual broadcast chain is. Right? We create an image. It goes into a bunch of systems. Before it goes out over the air, it passes through a dozen different things that layer different subcarriers on it, like your Nielsen ratings box, right? There's a there's a subcarrier running on the signal that tweaks your Nielsen box that says, hey, he's watching Channel 9 right now. Um, and I wanted to understand all of that right up to the, the transmitter because I'm crazy that way. Um, You're curious. And what you, yeah, exactly, right? Um, and what, what you find as you become that interested in the business also is that the people who are running the business part of the business, they don't know anything about technology. It could be a technology company. The guy who's running the business isn't thinking about how the engine actually operates. He just wants the engine moving fast. Yeah, it's kind of like, so, like it in the earlier part, you know, when I was saying, I just want my technology to work. That's the way yeah, they are with technology. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And they, and they don't really care about the details. It's not important to them. What they care about is they're going to get what they expect on the outside of the business. Right now, because IT people being who we are, think that the technology is the do all end all of what makes the business work, especially in big corporations. IT departments tend to do IT for the sake of doing IT, right? They make systems for everybody else to use that are complicated uh, because they work really well inside the machine, right? They take advantage of faster databases, faster storage, so that things on the back end, which are complicated, work really well. But then when you and I have to go, you know, fill out our payroll record, you get this screen that looks like it's something from 1954 off of an IBM mainframe. <laughs> Right. 
in a world because where it quite possibly is <laughs> true, but but you're in a world where everything is um, you know graphical interfaces. There's no reason why it has to be that way, and that's why I've always taken it that you have to understand what the business is doing, and you have to understand what the people in the business are expecting the business to do in order to be able to deliver to them effective systems. I've always had that similar opinion, and it could be because my very first technology job when I was at MBNA, the bank, that everybody of a certain level had to spend four hours a month as a customer support rep talking mm, to cardholders. That's right? cool. That's really um, great. And and it really gave you a sense of like, this is what we were about, mm-hmm. right? We are about the cardholder out there spending money that we are lending them because that's how a credit card company is judged is the outstanding balance of everybody yeah. added all up, which in that world was $35 billion, right? Yeah. Which is just staggering the, to think about it. The, um, the old adage, the customer is always right, is yeah. absolutely true all of the time, even when they're wrong <laughs> and there are pains in your butt. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because if you're not going in with that attitude, then people are going to say, well, especially nowadays, right? When there's a billion different choices, they're going to say, well, screw this. I'll just go somewhere else. I don't need to, I don't need to put up with that. We talk about building a framework and building review and advisory boards in that chapter. What what is what is that about? First of all, um, think about a pilot flying an airplane. Right, he's got a checklist that he goes through mm-hmm. to make sure that he's checked all the important critical things about the system. Right, and the reason why he has it written on a checklist is because those are things you don't want to forget. <laughs> so that's why you build a framework with anything that's important. Right. You want to make sure you capture all of the things you need to understand and have them on a list that you can check off so that you don't find out after you've built the building that, oh, you forgot to dig the foundation. Um, and, and it just assures that, you know, it's you, you build things. Right. So it's 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 that same concept of you measure twice and you cut once. Right. You don't want to have to go back and have to redo it all again afterwards. Um, now, one question I have for you, Jeff, is I'm guessing the checklist is kind of what the like you said, the pilot uses, right? In a term that, in this case, it would be like the backup admin would use and they would have their checklist in terms of, okay, these are the things I need to make sure that I cover. But I, and I know we'll talk about this in a minute, but like, that's not necessarily though exactly what you're going to be, like word for word, you're not going to be asking like the business, okay, what is your RTO, right? Because I'm guessing that like what you understand, right? You need some translation between like what's on that checklist into what you're asking the business. When you're out collecting requirements for what your system needs to be able to do, you may have to translate the question, right? You may not go up to the the CEO of the company and say, what, what RTO are you looking for? But you may go up to him and say, so the building burns down tomorrow. At what point does it become no longer effective for you to reopen the business? At what point is it bankruptcy and we're gone versus we can survive this and move forward. Right. Yeah. And again, that's extreme, but it's translating the question and, and a checklist is like collecting uh, the, uh, the requirements for any project. Right. Right. The context that I remember in the chapter was we talked about that process that we, that we had at that company where you and I worked. Yeah. Um, That was, it was a very, rigid process for developing a new product. And it was, you know, there was the, we were working together in aerospace and you have to remember that aerospace is one of those businesses where if you miss a step in the process, things go bad, right? Everything has to be measured and, and has to be checked off on to make sure it's safe. 
um, they took a lot of that and they've translated that down into their IT processes, which, by the way, are the same things that they give you in ITIL, right? If you're an ITIL person, which is a 34-letter word in most certainly creative companies to drop ITIL, um, it teaches you the idea of things have to be structured, right? There's a, there's a right way to do things and you just need to try to follow the right way. Um, in the case of the aerospace company, part of that process is make sure that to keep you on track, check in with people all the time and make sure that they agree that we're still on track, right? I, I spend a, a month collecting um, the project plan and what the requirements are. And then I send it out to the stakeholders that are going to need to use this later and say, just tell me, did I get it right? Is this what you wanted? And they come back and go, yay, or they come back and go, no, and then you fix it. And right. periodically you check in and you do the same thing, right? You come back and say, okay, we're moving along this way. And is this still okay? Um, or did your plans change? So totally makes sense having this board that you go check back with, right? Figuring out process. What are some examples of uh, requirements or questions you would ask, right? For specifically around backup, right? As you're yeah. going through this process. Yeah. Um, the very first question I always ask, and it's the hardest question for any business to be able to answer is what is acceptable downtime, right? <laughs> if, if, if something happens, we can't control it. What can you live with? Right. I realize it's always going to be zero, but yep. now dig down deep in your heart because it's going to happen and tell me what's acceptable on that. Right. Yep. Um, and remember that I can give you as close to zero downtime as humanly possible, but it's going to cost you a lot of that, money. That's, that's exactly right? what I was going to ask. It's like, um, do you then tell them, hey, by the way, you want zero downtime? It's going to cost you yeah. $5 billion, yeah. right? Or something yeah, like that. <laughs> so for me, you always present it in multiple stages, right? There's the, this is, this is the worst. You don't want to do this. This is survival mode, how much it'll cost. This is... This is like gold-plated, the greatest it'll ever be in the world. Once you get this, you'll be the happiest person ever. It's going to cost you this much. And then this is probably the answer you want. This is the middle. This is the price, right? Um, but you always go back to the business, and the business has to decide how critical is it. And it, and it could be for this piece of the business, right, for my, for my call center, I need 100% uptime. Because worst case, they can write the order down on paper, and we can key them in later. Um, whereas, you know, for the database service, if it's down for an hour, it's down for two hours, maybe that's okay. As long as I can recover it to within a, a certain period of time. And would you say that that's probably the most important question, right? To always start with? Yes, I, I believe it is because, um, it drives everything else. Okay. Right? Yeah. The thing is downtime is sort of measured in two different ways, right? So there's downtime in terms of like how long the system is down. There's also downtime in terms of how much data we lost, right? So we translate yeah. that into RTO and RPO, which I, I know mm -hmm. we already did a, uh, a podcast back to basics podcast on. Um, so th that's the big thing is, is making sure that whatever it is that we're getting ready to design, that it's, we're designing it based on the requirements of business came back, you know, they gave us, but that's why you have your review board meeting because yeah. you go back and you feed it back to them every once in a while and say, right, this is what you asked for. Correct. This yeah. is what we're going to build. Right. We're good. And you do it multiple times so that at the end of the day, if something, assuming you did everything right and the system performs the way you expect it to perform and they come back and go, 
what the hell, man? You can look at them and go, six times you came back and said this was acceptable, right? Yeah, yeah. Six times you and I both agreed that a six-hour RTO was acceptable because a two-hour RTO was going to cost us $3 billion. You and I agree. Remember that? I have it in writing here. And so the the fact that this, you know, that we met a six-hour RTO is good. Yeah. (laughs) And it's documented. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, there's a, there's some element of you're covering your own ass when you're doing it. Right. But we all have to be sure that we're delivering what the business needs. And that's why you have to understand what the business does, because if you understand what the business does and somebody comes back and, you know, you're in a business where you're talking to customers constantly and somebody comes back when you ask them, um, what's acceptable and they go, ah, if we're down for a day or two, that's fine. You know, they're wrong. You know that they're not telling you the truth. You know, that they're trying to give you the easy answer. And if you understand what the business does, you can look back at them and say, but wait a second, we answer calls 24 hours a day from customers. You're okay with not answering calls 24 hours a day for those customers. Uh, at which point they go, Oh no, no, I don't mean that. I, right? I did. I did work with a business once, Jeff, that had a two-week RTO. You know, Whoa. you know what it was. <laughs> they they were a paper mill, and they were like, "If the computers are down for a couple of weeks, we don't care. Like we're we're going to keep cutting down trees, we're going to keep turning it into pulp, and we're going to keep making paper. If, if you can't if you can't bill anybody, uh, what we'll, they'll still need paper. We'll be." That was their attitude. And so for yeah. them, a two-week RTO was fine. You yeah. know? Uh yeah. yeah, but yeah, but it goes back to the first thing we started with. It it goes with what kind of business you are in. Yeah. Right. Yep. Most businesses, you start using the word day. Yeah. They're <laughs> in yeah, your RTO. Without, they're not yeah. gonna be okay with that. Yeah. If you're in a retail business, you know, and you're down, you know, you're you're running a big uh, online catalog service and you've got call centers all around the world taking calls from people or websites that are, you know, taking, uh, selling movie tickets, let's say, which I have a certain amount of experience with in the past. Right. Yeah. And that opening weekend for the next star Wars movie is coming up and your systems go down for 10 hours. Oof. You, yeah, you're in trouble, right? Cause I, you know, that, I, that money is going to go somewhere else. It's not like they're going to sit there and go, well, I'll keep hitting return until I can get through. Yeah, it's not like ticket. they're going to not buy tickets for that movie. Right. Exactly. They're going to, they're exactly. going to do that. Um, gosh, you remember when we used to stand in line, Jeff? Yeah, I do. You know, there was, there was a certain charm to it, but, um, yeah, I remember standing in line, like you stood in line to stand in line, right? You, you yeah. got up there, there's a big line and you're like, yeah, you, you, you know, it's one o'clock, you want the four o'clock show. And they're like, Oh, the four o'clock show already sold out. Okay. So yeah. I guess we're doing the seven o'clock show. And, uh, and you bought tickets for the seven o'clock show at one o'clock. Right. And then you went and did something with yourself for the next six hours. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Two old guys reminiscing about (laughs) back in the day. Um, so you, yeah, you, you, Jeff, in the next section in the chapter, you talked about drawing up multiple designs. I think that you hinted at that already about the, yeah. here's the one you definitely don't want. Here's the one you're probably not going to pay for. And here, you know, here's the Goldilocks song. People want to feel like they have choices. It's part of just the way life is, right? And everybody wants gold-plated, but they don't want to pay for gold-plated. So the best way to show them is there are, you know, I'm not narrow-minded. There are multiple ways you can do this. You can solve this problem. 
and at different cost levels. And I'm going to leave it to you to decide how much money you want to spend based on that. Right. Um, and then just from experience, uh, I know that you present three layers because there, you know, it's, there's a little psychology involved in it. It's like when you write a budget, there's always something in the budget that you're willing to cut because you know, they're going to come back no matter what. And they're going to ask you to cut something out of the budget. It's almost like a goodwill kind of thing. Yeah. Right? So far we've kind of been talking about like the requirements are a little bit in stone, right? Sort of uh, the business comes, gives you the requirements, you come back with the proposals, right? But as we all know, like business needs and requirements change, yeah. right? And so yeah. how do you sort of account for those changes as you're like, so you had these three options, they pick the middle option, business requirements change. Yeah. Right. How do you sort of incorporate that? Because you can't be like, hey, by the way, we already started on our way. And so now you have to wait 12 months before we can incorporate those in. We're agile now, right? We don't <laughs> actually, we don't build projects that we set a two-year goal and then we yeah. check in at the end of year two and say, here's what we've got to find out we got it wrong. The biggest challenge in that space to me is when you're at the foundation level, right? It's like if I'm building a house and we've designed the house and we've decided the bathroom's going to go here, the kitchen's going to go there, right? I'm running pipes now out of the foundation to go to those places. You can't come back to me, you know, three weeks later and say, I've decided to put the bathroom at the totally opposite end of the house because I've already poured the concrete and that pipe is not going to move on its own. So, well, or, so well, I not move on its own. And I guess that's the thing, right? Is it's okay to go back and say, yeah, this requires sort of like a redesign or yeah. a rethought re-implementation, right? It's going to affect your timelines for sure. But yeah. if that's what the I, business needs, we could... So I think it, I, I think the best way you deal with this kind of thing is in the ordering of how your project is established, right? You've got to get the core, the solid infrastructure that isn't going to change um, done first. And you have to make sure the buy-off is there and you have to keep going back and saying, right, we're going to build this network. We're going to buy this kind of storage. We're going to buy these kinds of tapes. We can go back and change out systems and how they operate we can change schedules we can add but if you turn around after that check is written and say i don't want to use that anymore i can't get you that money back right you've spent it so you need to be sure your foundation is solid in what you're trying to build on and you need to know that up front um features can change right but the core foundation of it has to be once you've started laying it down yeah. And I, I guess, Curtis, this would probably be your pitch that you would say. It's like, hey, yeah, but with a SaaS like service, you may not need to put all that money up front, right, to pay for something, right? It does give you some yeah. amount of flexibility to be like, yeah, yeah. That, that dynamic scaling up and down is definitely a real value of a SaaS product. But like any other product, you, you have to take into account a little bit of the future, right? And, you know, the one, the one challenge I'm going to say of backing up to a SaaS provider is to just make sure that we've, we've calculated in the laws of physics, right? Mm -hmm. um, because if, you, if you've got, if you've got 10, you know, petabyte and a T1 line, it's not going to work, right? Mm -hmm. So as long as we've, long as we're not at the upper edge of your bandwidth utilization, you should be able to grow uh, significantly on the back end without, without having to have a change on the, on right. the, but, again, know, the but again, that's the foundation, right? That's the, that's the core infrastructure that you have to agree on up front. How much data do I have? How fast do I need to get it up to that damn service in the cloud? 
And do I have enough bandwidth and capability to do that? Right. Right. Um, and those are the things that become immutable in the beginning. You lay them down, you understand them, and then you can build on top of it whatever you want because you have a foundation that will support it. You can't turn around, though, afterwards and say, well, I didn't really have that much network bandwidth. And it turns out that in order to get that much network bandwidth, I have to have this pay this guy over here to dig a tunnel underneath, you know, the, the biggest avenue in town to run a fiber optics to my building. And I'm not going to pay for that. So I guess we'll have to figure out how to do it without the bandwidth. Right. That's when it, that's when the tower collapses and none of it's ever going to work. Yeah. So the, I, I'd say that. So we so we, we got the requirements we've got. Um, and we, we've, we've done this iterative process of going back to the stakeholders to make sure we understand the requirements. We've built our theoretical system. The, the next phase that I think is, is really important is to make sure that the product that, we, that we're supposed to be buying does what it is that it was supposed to do, right? Yeah. So we're yeah. talking about things like POCs and pilots. I... I do the POC early, right? I do it like before I even, st I go back to, if the business comes back to me and says we need to update backups, I go out and start doing the POC on the backup products. Before I come back and propose, here's what I think the solution would be, right? Um, you know, there are the sales guys and there are the sales engineers, right? Don't listen to anything the sales guys have to say to you. The sales guys are sales guys. That's what they do. Let them buy you lunch and then don't worry about it. Find yourself a good sales engineer who's attached to the account. Connect up with them. They'll give you the straight answer. And then give them your real world, your real world scenario. That's kind of where I come from, right? If you're gonna, if you're gonna go to the trouble of selling me a service up in the cloud somewhere, then it should do everything it needs to do, right? And uh, to go on a tangent, which I know you'll cut because you hate when I go on tangents and I'm, I'm doing other things. Depends on the value um, of the tangent, Jeff. Um, <laughs> when, when people, especially the non-technical people, go off and think of the cloud, right? They think the cloud is a solution for everything, right? I want to go store things in the cloud. So I will just copy all of my data up into the cloud and things will be wonderful. It's like, no. You copy your stuff up into the cloud and all you're doing is you're handing it off to somebody else's data center. That doesn't mean it's properly backed up. That doesn't mean it's redundantly stored in multiple locations in case there's a disaster. You still need a systems engineer to look at the problem and come up with a solution within the context of the cloud as if it was your own. Um, but, but cloud is a marketing term, right? That we sell to people who don't understand technology about a, here, the solution is there, baby. Just buy this and, and, and your life will be better and everything will just work. You know what you need, Jeff? In that scenario, you you need a persona. That that is what persona does. So, you know, he's actually he's actually you know I'm going to say he's more technical than I am. And and and, and when we talk about current cloud technology, yeah, uh, he's actually making things happen uh, and actually understands that stuff. So you need somebody like that. Like it's not like the cloud doesn't just like oh we don't need any IT people. <laughs> we just need different kinds of IT people. Right. But you would be surprised at the number of C-level and especially financial people out there who think that by buying into a cloud service, they can throw away their data center and they no longer need as big an IT department. Yeah. Right. There, well, there are might, a lot of them who base big, their financial. But yeah. 
Yeah, you're going to eliminate certain positions, right? You're going to yeah. eliminate the guys that are handling your hardware. But um, there, there is this perception, and that's why everybody thinks the cloud is cheaper, right? In many cases, it's more expensive than running your own data center, depending on what you're yeah. going to do. It, it definitely um, depends on how you implemented it, yeah. yeah. Right. If you but, ever talk um, to Corey Quinn or follow him on Twitter, right, that's his big thing. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that was that was my tangent, but I thought well, it that was, that was somewhat a good relevant. tangent, Jeff. Yeah. Um, all right. So the, so the final thing here, of, of, you know, of, of in this chapter was about documenting and implementing the new system, right? Yep. Uh, the job, the job that nobody ever wants to have to do is document it. Yeah. Um, you know, what, <laughs> you, you what's know, that about, right? Do, do I have to, do I have to document? <laughs> yeah, you have to, I'm sorry, you know, cause it's like, that's your proof of life, right? You have, you have it down in writing you have a plan that you're working from. It's the checklist, right? And it's visible to everybody. You can hand a copy to somebody and say, I want you to read this. And then I want you to sign on the bottom of it so that I know that you've read it and you either agree or you don't agree. And then if they take it and they just sign it and hand it back to you, when there's something in there that they didn't like or that they didn't expect, you look at them and go, you signed for it, right? Would you sign a contract without reading it? Would you, you know... All it's, the time, I it, agree. Right. <laughs> written the written documentation, especially the design documentation, is actually kind of like a contract with your customer. Right. right. The customer and, being the business. Yeah. Right. And this design document, right? It I'm guessing it also sort of restates, hey, here are all the requirements that I built against, right? That we had mm -hmm. agreed to during the sort of the checklist and those initial discussions, right? And these yeah. are sort of the requirements that this design satisfies. Yeah. When you, when you write that initial document, once, once everybody has blessed it and signed off on it, you may never go back to it again, right? You may never have to go back to the printed document, except for the fact that it's part of your completed set of things you need to have that's just there for the future, right? And if you've ever been involved in any kind of construction, right, on the back end of the construction, there are the as-builts, right? There is the actual design document and the blueprints of the building as it was completed by the contractors who did all the work that you stick in a box somewhere and only go back to when you're trying to figure out where that damn wire that's powering your Wi-Fi uh, device is running to, because that's yeah. when you need your as-built, right? You need to understand how things are wired. This becomes the as-built for the project. It gives you esoteric details that you really don't care about until for some reason you need to know about it. And then it's there. When I when I when I think about the value of documentation, I'm, I'm speaking in this case more operational documentation than design documentation. But I go all the way back to when my oldest daughter was born. Right, I was in Delaware, uh, and uh, I was at the hospital in my wife's delivery room. Nina was born; she's you know brand new baby, and I'm I'm standing in you know in new father bliss zone. Right. And the phone rings in my wife's hospital room. And, you know, this is pre cell phone days. Right. And um, I um, I picked up the phone. I'm like, why is this phone? It's the bank <laughs> on the phone. And I said, what? And they said, well, <laughs> well, we have this restore uh, that we need to do. I'm like, I am in my wife's hospital room 
And they're like, well, we don't understand ABC. And I said, well, did you read the documentation? Is there a problem with the documentation? They said, oh, we haven't looked at it. Slam. I just slammed down the phone. I I, I had good documentation. And that was, you know, I, I was like, I'm good. I, I regularly go to developers when they're writing software that I'm involved in having to support and telling them that, um, because I run operations as well, right? And telling them that um, mm-hmm. it is in their enlightened self-interest to write good documentation for their product, because I will call them at two o'clock in the morning on Saturday if it breaks and there's something broken. I, not only will I call you, I'm going to make sure I have your wife's cell phone number as well. <laughs> and I will call her if you choose not to answer. I call your because, mom. Because if the, I, I would, because if the business is flat out down on its ass and I have the CEO of the company who's going to come looking for me because I'm responsible for operations. And what am I going to tell him? Sorry, the software doesn't work. We'll get back to you on Monday. Right. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, and that's why everything, the better the documentation is, the less the operations guys have to go and bother the people who wrote it. And that makes everybody happy. Um, Just going back to the earlier thread that I was on, how do you ensure that, because things will change, right? The system will change. The designs will change. Mm-hmm. Is that part of the process that anytime like you get new requirements or anything else, like always go back and update the documentation? Yeah, should be. Should be, without a doubt. And if it's happening during the development process, you take it back to the review boards so that, again, everybody's aware of it and everybody checks off on it, right? That they're okay with the change. That it's not a surprise to finance, right? And it's not a surprise to uh, uh, facilities operations that you're, you know, all of a sudden going to reroute uh, well, the, the water lines or something like that to make it work. Yeah, I would say it's your job as the technology side of things to watch what's happening with the business side of things yeah. and to see if there are changes, right? If all of a sudden, to, to use your world, Jeff, you know, you are normally doing 10 movies at a time and you happen to be in some quarterly meeting and you hear that they're like, listen, we're going to double production. We, yeah. You know, we've had some great sales and we're going to do 20 yeah. movies at a time. You're going to be like, um, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, you know, current capacity is based on 10 movies at a time. I'm going to need twice as much stuff. Yeah. Examples in my life of that were like, um, I was working at Disney at the time and we, uh, I sat in a meeting and they said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to release this one in IMAX, <laughs> you know? So you're like, wait, I have a system that's designed to create 2k frames on the back end. I don't even know what IMAX is at this point <laughs> or, Hey, we're going to start doing 3d. That was like, ah, right. When it comes to things like storage, right. The transition from we're going to do 2k, we're going to do 4k. We want to do these special formats. Oh, wait, we're going to start doing live action visual effects. That means we've got to shoot, you know, real film backplates, uh, that you're going to put stuff on top of. The point here is that you need to be keeping an eye to going back, sort of bringing this all back to the beginning. Your organization what is its function, right? This right. That idea works for businesses. It works for government, yeah. uh, right? So what is the purpose of your organization right. and what do you, what purpose do you serve within that purpose? Right. I can, I can promise you that the head, the, the, the chief creative officer at Disney is not thinking about the difference in storage capacity between a 2K movie and an 8K. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not, it's but, not their job. 
Right. But you have to be listening to him to hear that he just said 8K and go, well, okay, I need to go figure out what that means. And then I need to go find the right executive who's willing to go ask him if he's willing to spend money on that or if he was just talking about it. This whole thing was about gathering the requirements, just making sure what your company does, making sure that you're doing the things that you need to do to, to, to meet those requirements. Um, and, and, and that, and that you should absolutely not be determining those requirements. You should not be determining retention, recovery time, objective, RPO, any of that stuff that should all come back from the business. Yeah. Yeah. Be an active participant in your company. Right. It's more be more at your job than just your job. Understand what your business does. Um, understand why it's doing it, what makes it, you know, special in whatever it is that it's doing. And when you understand all that stuff, you'll get to know the people in the business better because, you know, like I said, the guy in customer service doesn't care about what's going on in the computer room. But if you get to know the guy in customer service because you understand what he's up against all of a sudden you can build that relationship that'll make it easier to get the info you need later and then document the hell out of it and make sure everybody mm-hmm. signs off so that accountability is spread evenly across the whole organization at the end of the day. I love it. You don't want to be the guy that everybody points to and says, well, we're down for a week because, you know, he decided that we could be down for a week and you go, no, here's the book. Right. And then you document it all through an inch of its life so that a, you have it as a reference right? Because other people are going to have to operate it. If you don't want to be the only person who gets called at two o'clock in the morning because they can't figure out how your system works, then you describe to people how your system works so that they can figure it out at two o'clock in the morning without you. Um, And that um, all of the parameters are covered so that you can now move up to be the president of the company. And the next guy coming in behind you will be able to just easily step into your past role because he can just open the books and it's all there for you. I like it. Well, thanks, Jeff. Always, always a treat. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Persona. I know between Jeff and I, you didn't get a word in edgewise in this That's episode. Okay. But uh, I, I enjoy I listening to the old man, old men talk. So, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, if you want to listen to the two of them talk more, they do have their another podcast, right? Where you talk we about do. entertainment we do. and movies and the, we the do things that entertain us. Yes. Is yep. the name of our other yep. podcast. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe Curtis just, will stick a link in, in the uh, show notes. Who knows? Maybe, maybe he will. Maybe he will. <laughs> uh, all right. And thanks again to our listeners. We're nothing without you. Remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. Good.